Do you know what we're going to talk about today? No, I was hoping you'd have an idea. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wirelessing Podcast. This is episode five. I'm Liam Douglas and I'm with my co-host, my father. And I'm Barry Douglas. So I'm quite emotional today, Liam, because, you know, this is our fifth podcast and yeah. it's been great fun, hasn't it? You know, getting together every two weeks and yeah. just chatting about whatever, wirelessing about yeah. whatever. We've only touched the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a lot of stories down there which are way down in the, in the deep depths that we'll have to conjure up <laughs> over the next while. We're going to re-kind of calibrate ourselves and, and produce the next series and that's going to start quite soon, and we'll let everybody know when that happens, won't we? Yeah, but we're hoping to get uh, special guests, you know, for the next few episodes, yeah. and a few good people on the list, you know, yeah. and we need to organise in the world today, you know, how we're going to get them on board, you know. We can put them outside the window there, and then they can do it out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm snivelling away here with this cold, I'm just thinking... You know, when you're on tour and you have a cold, I always play much better when I'm really, really sick with flu or anything. Have you found that? I think once I was really, really sick and I went straight home afterwards just to go to sleep, to pass out. I think it's because you're concentrating more on the fact that you're sick, that you forget that you've nerves or anything and, and the music seems to flow better. <laughs> and also when I fractured my shoulder a couple of years ago and I managed to do two concerts and when I got to the end of the second concert playing Rachmaninoff, I just lay down in my dressing room and I just knew I was never going to get up again <laughs> because I'd used so much energy <laughs> trying to play this wonderful Rachmaninoff concerto. Yeah. The opening was horrible because I couldn't stretch my left arm very quickly because of the tear in the rotator cuff in my shoulder. Every time I stretched down to a bottom note, it was excruciatingly difficult. But uh, now, it's, thank God, it's all fine. What we're going to talk about today is, I think, family and balancing, you know, the life as a musician and also a family life. And what was it like for you, you know, starting out, you know, when you met mum and then deciding that oh you're going to have children and everything me including one of the best <laughs> your greatest hits we have to remember that this was pre 9-11 things were much easier at airports and on planes yeah. and we could bring all sorts of bags on and liquids and everything for our three offspring we traveled with you until eventually you know Saoirse your sister had to go to school at the age of six in Paris yeah so that was nearly six years traveling with one two or three children so it was easier with my sister, who was the firstborn, traveling with her than three children, obviously. It was a lot of work, but it's work we wanted to do because we wanted to keep the family together as much as possible. But once yeah. school needed to be looked at, you, you guys all stayed at home and I, I went on the road. Yeah. It was the same for all three of you, that mummy would go to the hospital and you would be produced we go straight to the Irish embassy in Paris and get an Irish passport for you and then straight to the airport. Oh, yeah. Well, is it true that I got my first passport right after I was born? Yeah, after a, a couple of days. But we always had trips planned. You always were brilliant. You know, you always came where I had a hole in my calendar, you know, and I was able to be around. <laughs> <laughs> but then I had to jet off again. But you all came and it was great. You know, we would come to Ireland first and show you off to the grandparents and then we would get back on the plane and go like, yeah. to my concerts. But it, it worked so well. Now it's really, really tough. You know, you have to wait a long time for a passport. There's a lot of stuff you can't bring on a plane anymore. And this is pre-COVID. Now post-COVID, it's, mm -hmm. it's another ballgame as well. Because with Brexit and everything, it's going to 
wreak havoc, you know, for touring musicians in England? I don't know what the situation is. I know it wasn't negotiated. It wasn't. I don't think it was talked about that much in the ne- negotiations. But I think there's a real move afoot now. There's a real groundswell of opinion and groundswell of activism to say, "Come on, guys, let's get this working." Because each European country, it seems to me, uh, will have a slightly different way of working. So if you're going to do a tour where you're going to visit three or four European countries as a UK citizen, you may have to have four or five different kind of relationships specific to each country. Like a visa? Possibly visa and work permit, yeah. And that'll, that takes time, takes money. And, you know, for, for people who are starting out or people who are not, you know, big names like Elton John, that's very difficult because you end up, you know, losing a lot of money. So we, back when you were travelling with the three of us, the three children... Did we have to get anything like that or it was just the passport was good enough? The only thing we needed was when we first took Sosha to Brazil, we needed the yellow fever vaccination. No, she didn't need it. Mummy needed it. Yeah, she was six months old when she went to Brazil. Six Um, months. Jeez. And just around the corner is the Pasteur Institute in Paris and that's where we would go and get our vaccinations. Yeah, it was always yellow fever going there. When you first met mum, did you think, oh, this is the person... I'm going to start a family with and did you think how is this going to affect my career in some ways or you didn't care you just wanted to start a family my dad always said to me you know don't get married too young make sure that you achieve what you want to achieve and you know see what you want to see and then you know think about a family he got married in his late 30s so I got married in my early 30s and all of you coming along it's been you know such fun and the privilege and the honor to be able to travel you know and and that was my work and I got paid for it and then you all came, you know, so you'd be in the dressing room when I'd go on stage, I'd come off and you'd all be sitting there waiting and it was just fantastic. It must have been tough for her flying everywhere with three little children. I mean, especially me, I knew I was a lot to take. You know, people say, and I understand why I'm not going to go traveling with my, my new baby or my my toddler because it's just going to be a nightmare. It's because they're not used to it. You were always used to it. So you just got on planes and you just sat down, got your coloring in books or your books to read. And it was just second nature to you because you didn't know any other kind of life. Yeah. And so it's just, I mean, if children are used to something, they cotton on very quickly. If they're not used to it, then it's, it's uh, they're outside their comfort zone. That's true. Whenever traveling, you know, you're always going to get kicked by a younger child. I was about to say pest. Oh, you mean the back of the air- aircraft seat? Yeah. <laughs> and babies crying and everything, and it's just it's just a part of it. And were we ever bad in that way while you were traveling? No, I mean, there was just once we were going to Argentina, Brazil, a South American trip, and we went through Frankfurt, so we were in Lufthansa. And there were all these sedate um, German and, and other nationality business people <laughs> uh, trying to get kept during the night. One of you was a little bit restless. You're not going to say who? No, no, we got, we got you to sleep you know, with a little bit of liquid refreshment. Who was it? Was it me? No, it was Fergus. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think just maybe he was teething or something on that, that occasion. I remember I used to get bad ear infections. I, I wouldn't stop screaming because my ear was in such pain from just the wind or something. I can't remember. Yeah, I remember that. All three of you got a lot of bad ear infections and otite. What is it in English? Otitis? Otitis? No, otite in French. And you, you needed other probably antibiotics. I mean, and our, our doctor in Paris, Frank Slattery, he would just fix everything up. Mm. Oh, wait, is that not tinnitus? No, no. Tinnitus is a ringing in your ear. Oh, we didn't Beethoven have that or something? I'm not, I, th- I think you're right, yeah. I think he did. 
A lot of composers, Janacek had it very, very bad, and eventually it got so loud it drove him crazy. If the listeners don't know, it's... It's a very high-pitched noise, okay. high-frequency. That only dogs hear, <laughs> and you, if you have it. A lot of musicians get it. So Beethoven had it, and... Janacek is a fantastic Janacek. Czech composer who some amazing operas. He had it really bad. I mean, to think if Beethoven had it and he was going deaf. The, the, the works from his late period, the third and late period of, of Beethoven, you know, he was completely deaf, almost completely deaf by then. And he imagined all this great music, this really yeah. amazing, uplifting soul music. Wait, what's Symphony Number no. 5? Which one is it? Number five in C minor. That's the famous one. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of the other one then. You think of the Choral Symphony number nine, maybe? Number nine. Oh, DeJoy and yeah. Yeah, that's right. Was he he was deaf by then, yeah. yeah. He was. That's crazy. And, and, and there's moments, I mean, in the last piano sonata, the last symphony, the amazing piece for string quartet, also string orchestra, Grosse Fuga, the big fugue. Yeah. It's got this amazing energy, but almost bordering on anger, but it's not quite anger. But it's got, it's like a galloping horse. I mean, you're just propelled along and you realise there's such a depth and intensity of emotion coming from this wonderful composer. And you hear it in the music. Yeah. Oh, I get that. But I think I have a bit of tinnitus. Really? Sometimes you can get it, you know, if you have a stuffed sinuses, a bit of a sneeze going on. Yeah. You can sometimes get that, but it's very, very temporary. I think a lot of people in rock music get it. I think Brian Johnson, you know, the singer of ACDC, mm. I think he has it. Or he started going deaf a little bit, and then he, I think he's much better now, so he's back with ACDC, so he, he took a break from it. But I, I thought he had tinnitus or something. It's just from playing with big amps all the time. And just if you've ever been to a rock concert and you see big amps behind all the musicians, but there are also monitors on front of them. And that plays back exactly what they're playing. So if you're singing, you'll hear yourself back instantly. So it's blasting from behind you and on front of you. So you can hear yourself front and back it's so easy to damage your ears I think I said this before you know when we went to I was there with Sochian Fergus Tokyo Hotel concert in a stadium yeah. in Paris yeah. it wasn't the music that was blasting me it was the it screaming was, <laughs> the technology's gotten a lot better you know in terms of state of the art sound and everything and using PA systems and just I mean back in 1969 I mean the Rolling Stones when they would play it was just plugging in amps and trying to find the right balance with the drums and the amps and the bass amp and then screaming people. So I think it was late 69 or something, they started getting proper PA systems. You would hang these big speakers up in the air. I mean, as you know, you've seen them. Mm. They're, they're, yeah. They do that in the National Concert Hall. And back in the early days, a lot of people had hearing loss. Yeah. So it was a very common thing. I can't stand suspended speakers. If the piano is directly under one of them, <laughs> I just tell them to move the piano. I don't want to be sitting under that because it just dominates my my being for the whole concert. Oh, well, it's very safe. I know it's very safe, but you never know. My first earthquake was in Taipei in Taiwan and those speakers were flailing around. They were swinging from left <laughs> to right. <laughs> Wait, while you were playing? Yeah, it was during the rehearsal. No, earth, earthquakes are scary. They can be very scary. And of course, people can lose their lives.
you are a fan of Pink Floyd and ABBA and everything and you always say, oh, there is Schubert or, you know, whoever. You always hear classical composers in modern music in terms of, oh, they were inspired by classical music. Yeah, in, in the case of ABBA, I mean, their songs, they're so perfect. They're, they're, they're like Schubert yeah. songs in that there's a structure to it. And that's what's satisfying. It's not just the lyrics and the harmonies and the rhythm and the speed and how they're sung that yeah. is actually making them so appealing to everybody. Yeah. People like structure. When you see a, a, a building and you see that it's perfectly proportioned and it's draws you in. Yeah, yeah. That's a kind of comfort. We, as human beings, we, we look for patterns. When you see and hear patterns in music or in architecture and painting, then it, it gives us a, a good feeling. Certainly with Abba's songs, that is the case. I mean, they're each, each of those songs are little gems. Mm-hmm. In my side of things, we call them riffs or licks, but mostly riffs. But in classical music, you call it motifs, you know, or a repetitive pattern. So a lot of rock music would you know, be influenced by classical music, especially, you know, you know, Stairway to Heaven. I think I told you this. Jimmy Page wrote it. He called it a poor man's bore by Bach. And Paul McCartney wrote Blackbird. And the very, very opening of it, you can slightly hear it. That's also like Bach. And even Hulse, the planets. I mean, John Williams was influenced by him, obviously, especially the ending is like the end of Star Wars, you know, when the Death Star exploded. Yeah. The end of Mars, the planets by Holst is not, you know, the exact same, but it's very close. And you can see, you know, the similarities in it in terms of, you know, how he was influenced by Holst. And, you know, Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, they have a song called Black Sabbath. And you know the Devil's Tritone? Yeah, yeah. So is that one... It's a minor fifth. It's a minor fifth. Yeah. And that was banned. They, they thought it was subversive. But you know the opening of Mars, the planet? Yeah. Isn't that one minor fifth? Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. I think it's close. Oh, it is. A, it is a minor fifth. It is a minor fifth. Yes. When the then when the melody comes in, it is da 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 da. So Tony Iommi in the sixties with Black Sabbath took that just the opening of it and mm. created this dark song. You know, because Black Sabbath were known for their the mythology of devil worship. When you listen to music and you hear a, a piece by Bach or something, and you hear the harmonies, can you hear the connection between how Bach has built up this whole um, harmonic progression and some things that have been written, you know, more contemporary. Oh, yeah. Especially Bore by Bach. You'll hear, you know, the Beatles, uh, a lot of the Beatles and Stairway to Heaven because they were going for that sort of harpsichord sound, you know, because obviously on a harpsichord, the strings are plucked and Jimmy Page would play with a guitar. So uh, he was going for that in some ways. And if you hear it on the record, you know, it's... You just instantly hear Stairway to Heaven, Blackbird, even John Williams' music, you know, in his films. I mean, I know you practice pieces, and I always say that, I don't know what that piece is, but it sounds exactly like yes. Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's a movement from Prokofiev's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the movement called Juliet Number 4. Yeah. And you said, that's Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's from The Last Crusade. I always think that's 
mm. this bit in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, I mean, I've never written film music, but once, uh, I mean, Mummy and I knew a, a very well-known Irish film director, and he said, I'd like this bit, you know, when this happens in the action, to sound like this, and he would quote a piece by Mahler or a piece by Debussy. So he wanted that kind of sound world and that kind of energy. This guy is, of course, also very musical, and he's a novelist. He knew exactly what he wanted. It's Neil Jordan, you know. He knew, he knows he's such a clever guy. He knew exactly what he wanted musically, and of course, all the other facets of making a film. Yeah. And he was just talking. He said, "Do you ever write film music?" I said, "I don't." And I write music, and uh, but it, nothing came of it. You know, and I, I'm totally happy. I don't think it's my forte to write film music. I mean, you could have done it. The only thing I ever did was uh, a fantastic translation from the old Scottish by Seamus Heaney. And it was an animation and I wrote the music for it. And Billy Connolly, the Scottish comedian, he, he narrated it. That's the closest I ever, you know, got to writing film music. Yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, it was, it was great. It really worked out. And I think it's still available. Five Fables. I'm, I'm sure yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. I think you buy an app or something. See, that's how I don't get that Beethoven had tinnitus and was going deaf and he was able to write all those great pieces of music and obviously he's influenced so many people i mean ode to joy is just you can hear everywhere i mean especially you know that piece so. well he he completely revolutionized how we look at classical music i mean if ever there was an enfant terrible it was beethoven because everything had had proportion up to then with the baroque composers and then classical and classicism was very much about sonata form and everything being just the proportions symmetrical and everything like that yeah and beethoven just took it and just scrunched it up and threw it up in the air and then stamped on it. And that really influenced people like Brahms and all the romantic composers of the 19th century, mm. thanks to Beethoven. Even in his early works, there's some new little spark. It wasn't just him being a product of the classical era. He always put something in. It was It's, it's like, you know, those painters who always put a little something in the painting to give you a clue that it's them. So he would use, you know, similar ideas in each piece or frequently anyway. Yeah, he would certainly turn everything on its head. It's it's like if you were going along a road in a car and it's a smooth road and suddenly there's a speed bump. It'd be just something to remind you that that's me. Well, you can always tell if it's Beethoven or Mozart. I can hear Schubert a little bit, but all the other ones I can't hear. But the fact that you can hear little things that you know... Oh, of course, it's Beethoven. But you see, that's the same with me. If I'm listening to a Led Zeppelin record, I can always hear... Or if I'm listening to a guitar player, I can always hear how Jimmy Page will play a certain, you know, solo or something, or a certain guitar line. I know it'll be him. And same with Jimi Hendrix and, you know, all these other guitar players. The, the great German conductor Otto Klemperer during the Second World War and post-Second World War... Uh, he was asked to describe Beethoven and Mozart, and he said, Beethoven is going up to heaven, but Mozart is coming down from heaven <laughs> to describe their music. Yeah. I thought that was great because there's a striving and, a, and an earnestness in Beethoven and a dogged resolve to get there, and it, it, it's glorious in the end. Whereas yeah. Mozart, he wrote all this music in such a short life, he must have just sat there. It was like he was transcribing something from God. He didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. He just wrote it down like someone was dictating it to him. They say that the same thing about the two Jimmies. So Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page. Jimi Hendrix was the black man who was like an angel in his plane. And Jimmy Page was the white man who was like the devil 
in his plane. All right. It's such an interesting way, you know, to say, I mean, of course, you know, talking about race or anything, but it's just Jimi Hendrix. He wrote such great songs and he was a much better rhythm player than lead player. You know, it's just similar in the way that you said Mozart was. Yeah. I mean, Mozart just, I mean, he hatched these operas just they were ready made you know it was just he just wrote them down whereas Beethoven would agonize he would get a motif a riff and it would occur to him as he would walk through the Vienna woods and he would write it down and he would muse over it for hours and then he'd develop it and you can buy the Beethoven sketchbooks and you see the agony he went through yeah. where he would rework and rework something until it was just absolutely like a diamond polished you know mm. glittering so he worked like that by continually revising, whereas Mozart it was amazing, ready to go already. Because Mozart started writing sonatas when he was really, really young, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, when he was, I think, nine. Nine. Yeah, and it was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fan of Dire Straits. Do you hear classical music in Dire Straits music? I do, uh, Simply read Dire Straits, I mean, I used to listen to them all the time. There's a kind of epic quality to their music, especially with Dire Straits, not so much with Simply Red. Simply Red are these beautiful gems of ballads, they're kind of ballads yeah. for me. Dire Straits is more, there's something more epic and questing and out of this world, you know, they're, they're trying to create something which hasn't been created before. That's what I get from them. There's that kind of striving that Beethoven has with Dire Straits. Dire Straits' most famous album is Brothers in Arms. And if you know this album, it's this metal guitar. And I, I don't know what kind it is, you know, but it's been held up with the blue sky behind it. I love that album. It's just incredible. They were going for that sort of landscape of music and just not going straight in with the guitar riff and just creating atmosphere. And even Money for Nothing, the song, it doesn't, properly begin until a minute into the recording mm. just in the beginning it's a lot of synth it really builds up the atmosphere to the point when it does start it's so fun god my mouth's watering i've got to listen to it uh, who else do you listen to pink floyd have you ever heard classical influences with pink floyd yeah it's it's those proportions and how they build up a song it's it's fascinating i mean you have dark side of the moon yeah yeah i think that you have to listen to it obviously in a different way but you can see so many influences from classical music as I said before I hate classical rock these labels it's just it's music yeah and it's just wonderful and there are similarities and there are great differences also and what do you think about is it a hundred years after the composer's been dead it's no longer copyrighted the music maybe it's 50 years for 50 years the estate has control over what's performed I mean what do you think about if a composer's been, you know, dead for so long and then the music's public domain and then people use it in some way. Well, I think it's a compliment if you use it, as long as you can... Use it in a new way and just... But also give the, the original composer a bit of credit. Yeah. I mean, the danger is if you start copying someone else's music and turning it into your own thing, it's... There's a way to do that that's respectful and there's a way to do it which is just stealing. You can pay a, a homage, a homage to a composer... And there are many popular composers now, people who write musicals and other things that have been influenced deeply by certainly some 20th century composers, but they've turned it into their own music. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, it's fascinating how they do that. They do it respectfully, though. There are similarities with, like I said, you know, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Oasis 
they have a song, Don't Look Back in Anger. And the opening to it is exactly, I mean, it's the same two chords, but it's just, you know, Imagine by John Lennon. He did that for John Lennon because he used his words as lyrics in the song in a certain part. So he wanted to do just the opening. Oh, I'm going to do this like Imagine and then change to how the song should be. And I love that that influence just blatantly yeah, anyway. But when it's blatant like that, it's obvious that... Um, it's intentional. And, yeah. They're actually glorifying it and paying homage. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, even Tom Petty. I mean, it's the same with him. It's just in popular music, 145, that chord progression has been used so many times. A lot of his songs influence other bands, you know, like Red Hot Chili Peppers and The Strokes. He never wanted to sue anybody because he just thought, you know, music's music. It's all about having, you know, fun and just, it's music, you know, you don't need to take money from people for being influenced. Yeah. We play a lot with the orchestra, but also me as a soloist. There's a wonderful piece by Phil Coulter called Home Away From Home. There was a, a memorial service to a wonderful Northern Irish diplomat who died four weeks ago in Washington, D.C., Norman Houston. And so I wanted to play that because it was from Phil Coulter from Northern Ireland. It's a great piece of music. It hits the right tone for a memorial. And so I, I cleared it with Phil. OK, if I do this, he said, no, fantastic. You know, and he always says, just go for it. You know, thank you so much for playing my music. And there's no money grabbing or anything like that. You know, yeah. it's just... He's a, he's a great guy. That's the thing. If you're going to be performing someone else's song on radio or in public space, you have to let them be aware of it. And even, you know, when they're you're being influenced by them, you need to give them a writing credit as well. So it's a lot of technicality in terms of copyright and just the law behind it. Oh, well, we just checked there that the copyright after a composer has passed away is 70 years yeah. So we were in the middle. So you you said it was 50. I said it was 100. I knew it was 70 all along. No. I did. I was just, you know, letting you off lightly. If you want to rip off an old composer. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Don't. Be influenced by them. Just listen to it and just, yeah. you know, take yeah. it from there. Everything with respect. I know you play on your Celtic Air and... Celtic Airs, the Cel album Celtic Airs, Chandos Records. And, yeah, yeah, and Celtic Reflections. You know, it's a lot of that traditional music, so you mm. don't need to tell anyone, no. oh, I'm going to do this, because if it's traditional, then it's it's totally okay. Because it's either been composed, you know, maybe 200 years ago. And then also there's some original music on that Celtic Airs one, because our group Celtic Orbit with Chris Stout, Emer McGoon and yeah. Katrina Mackay, they wrote Barry's Reels, you know, for me. Well, Celtic Orbit is about the movement of the Celtic people from Central Europe west, yeah, where they ended up in Galicia, Cornwall, Wales, Isle of Man, Scotland, Ireland, of course, and even Appalachia in North America. And the music that they took through and how that was influenced and how they took the music that they were listening to there and it incorporated in their music. And then if you look at, you know, for instance, dancing, Galicia has an amazing tradition of Irish, well, Celtic dancing, which is very similar to Irish dancing. Yeah. And Galicia in northwest, northwest Spain, of course, is just, you can't believe it. Then there's also a Celtic movement in uh, and a trace of Celtic civilization in Romania as well and Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating, all of these, you know, how the Celts moved. And so it's, our project with Celtic Orbit is more just highlighting, you know, there's a lullaby from the Isle of Man, there's a lullaby from Wales, a Welsh lullaby, and then there's also uh, a bridal march from Shetland Islands, where Chris starts from. 
it all sounds the same, but it's a different accent, different smell. It's it's all, let's say, French cuisine, but it's very different dishes. It's a great way to look at it as in terms of just, you know, sharing everything together. And We, as musicians, we should be colleagues also and help each other, especially at this time, you know, when people are suffering so much. A lot of musicians and, of course, other performing artists and all the technical staff behind the scenes and now have no work and no support because they fall between the cracks and government support is not geared for everybody. It should be, but it isn't. And I try through my festival and through my orchestra to engage and, you know, get some musicians to play something and, and give them some money. I think that's really important. We have to try our best to support yeah, our colleagues. Keep it going. Yeah. yeah. And it will be very soon anyway. I mean, it looks like things are getting back on track. Well, obviously the vaccination program is, has worked very well in the UK, less so in Ireland, but hopefully they'll catch up. Europe is a bit disappointing. They haven't done very well. Israel is the, the, the one that is really the star. So fingers crossed that, you know, my China tour at the end of this year is going to go and play <laughs> this wonderful new piece by Andrew Webb and a new concerto it'll be Christmas time New Year's certainly by this time next year I think all being well we'll all be back in the concert halls and theatres and arenas thank you for listening and we're going to take a break but we'll keep in touch and please download like and follow us to just keep up the date and share yeah we'll keep you posted thanks for listening bye bye bye